afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to the uh, to the Unknown Podcast. Today with me, Susanne Vos from ING. Welcome to the studio. Thank you for having me. Good to have you here. Today we will be diving into unknown stories. We will be looking at doing business globally, and we will be discussing opportunities in Singapore for startups. You've been in the Netherlands uh, for a while. Uh, actually, we, we were supposed to do the interview in uh, in Singapore. Uh, since when uh, are you back in the Netherlands? I've been here now since August. I had to go back for family reasons, personal reasons. Uh, so I've been here now for a few months and I'm starting to really miss the Singapore climate and the people. And it's really cold today, it's eight degrees. So I'm also looking forward to go back uh, back home to Singapore. Yeah, and start, uh, start to work in the office again, yes. I guess. <laughs> That's nice. Doing business internationally. Uh, yeah, you uh, you work for uh, for a corporate. Uh, I think we will explain a little bit more about what your uh, yeah feeling with startups is in, in general. But before we do that, uh, a bit more introduction on yourself, who you are, and of course I did a bit of uh, of reading. Uh, your official title: uh, innovation strategist and activator. I saw an innovation coach. You're responsible for a methodology called Pace. I think you can tell all about it uh, a bit later on. You studied in Delft. I read that you uh, you eat contracts or, or you read them like <laughs> a novel. Uh, that that sort of uh, tickled my imagina- imagination. So I would like to learn more about that. And, and since a few years uh, active, uh, as said, at ING in uh, in, in, in Singapore. Uh, I think an open question. Can you tell a bit more about your background around the the, the, the highlights that I just gave from from study until where you are now? Absolutely. So just from this short introduction, you may realize it's not has, it has not been a very linear, structured process to get where I am today. And I think that's also very characteristic of innovation in general, right? We, we follow the evidence as we go along to move from the unknowns to the knowns. And I must say for my personal life and my professional life, that has also been the case. So yes, I need studied uh, systems engineering in Delft because I was really driven by both the components of technology, but also working with people. Um, and how do you combine that and how do you then use that to solve complex problems. And then towards my graduation, I started in our family business, which was a manufacturing company. And one of our key best sellers were mailboxes that you find in big apartment buildings. But at some point uh, we decided to sell the company and uh, this is when the when the contracts came in so i really had to upskill myself to really understand what is this language about because i i understood the processes and i understood well i'm not sure if you ever fully understand the people bit but i i felt like i got the sense of that but then i was like okay i need to also understand the legal components so that's when i also decided to study law once the family business was sold i was like okay what am i gonna do what am i gonna do now And that's when ING approached me. They said, well, you have this very interesting multidisciplinary background and we are really looking to become a tech company with a banking license. So we need to go through a transformation and your skill set seems to really match where we want to go to. Join us. So that was a pitch that really worked. And I joined ING initially in the wholesale bank as a a proper banker. And there I, I was really client facing, working on deals and seeing transactions, which was really, really interesting stuff. And at some point I was able to go to Singapore for a short-term assignment for trading commodity finance. And that's when I fell in love with Singapore. Uh, So on one hand, I fell in love with Singapore. And on the other hand, I was also seeing all these things we could be doing better and smarter. And I was like, hey, but can we tweak this? Can we streamline this? How can we make this better, basically? And 
that's when I was asked to stay and help set up the innovation lab, which would really focus on, again, the unknowns and how do we, in a structured way, come up with new things, make things better for ourselves, but also for our clients, and that way also stay relevant, not just now, but also in five to 10 years. And that was at the, at the time, that was a really new department within uh, ING? Yeah, yeah. In, in Singapore or even globally, it was a, was a new department? Yeah, so globally it was, we had a, um, it was not called a lab at the time, we had an innovation team on the ground in Amsterdam that was already looking at how can we innovate for our clients in a more structured way. But we were then starting the, the innovation labs. We started one in London and one in Singapore in the wholesale bank. And we were really setting up a startup in a corporate, which in itself was an amazing experience because you are trying to do something new. You're trying to set up a startup basically, but within the constraint of constraints of a corporate and we're a financial institution so we need to make sure that we are compliant that we follow the rules and then if you come in and say but we're going to do innovation we're going to see how we can do things different there's a really large part also about education and showing how innovation is not just taking risks but it's really about in a structured way in a smart way exploring and testing before we build something big so yeah it was a completely new department at the time uh, we've learned so many things already in the how, past how big years. was the founding team the founding team well the founding team if you mean really the people uh, not actually building the ventures i think there were two there was uh, there was me and, uh, and and paul and we together had to find ways to make it work and luckily very soon we were able to grow and because we saw okay we're now it's two of us but things are happening faster and well, as you go along, more things become known, more things become structured. You're like, okay, it would actually now make sense to have someone really dedicated to, to solving this. For example, the risk management and making sure that our teams, despite being in the innovation space, are still um, handling according to our, our processes and our, and our policies. We need someone to be on top of this. It cannot be something on top of what we're already doing. So like a startup, we had to continuously assess what do we actually need now to move faster and to make more impact? So in that sense, yeah, we uh, we kept growing. So, so that was uh, two years ago, I think, two and a half years. Yeah, well over two and a half years now, and um, how it has been a, it has been a journey. Yeah. So <laughs> how, how big is the team now uh, in Singapore? Um, so again, it depends how you measure. Yeah. Um, but I think we have around. 30, 35 people that are either in the startups that we've built ourselves and incubated there and the people actually supporting that journey and um, yeah, and everybody else. Nice. Can, can you tell a bit more about the work that you do in ING Labs? Uh, what kind of activities, uh, maybe some examples of projects that, that you've developed? Absolutely. So ING Labs was born with the purpose to really focus on how do we stay relevant for our clients in five to 10 years, right? So let's go and think beyond uh, banking products that we currently have and potentially even disrupt ourselves. So that was that was the purpose. And to deliver on that, we are doing two things. So on one hand, we start our own startup. So we, we find the, the brightest and the most entrepreneurial minds that we can get our hands on. And we bring them in and we ask them, can you find the big problem to solve where we as ING can really make an impact? In uh, Singapore, we focus on trade tech. Yep. So really transportation and logistics and trading. In London, we focus on, on prop tech and on reg tech, so more commercial real estate, regulatory uh, challenges. So we really focus on those specific ecosystems. On one hand, we focus on making on solving problems there with our own people, with our own teams. Uh, and on the other hand, we also look at other smart people that are outside of ING and may already be addressing those challenges. So these existing startups, scale-ups, where we say, hey, what you're doing is really interesting. 
let's talk and let's see if it makes sense for us to work together. So I assume that the people that you attract, they join really the ING team. How would that work for a startup? They become part of the company or what does such a collaboration look like? It really, really depends. Um, so on where does the value lie? How can we best team up? Uh, what we've seen in the past is, for example, we have a venture arm in ING, ING Ventures. Yep. They can make an investment so that we become a, a shareholder. Uh, sometimes it makes sense to set up a commercial agreement. So it really depends on where is the value and how can we make sure that we are aligned in, in delivering that value. So it can have different flavors. One very specific example we have is uh, we, we worked with Flowcast, yep. um, company based in the US that then also had their uh, regional headquarters in Singapore. We teamed up with them for a pilot, which was very successful, and then ING Ventures invested. And currently they are now in uh, ING Labs Brussels, which is focusing more on fintech uh, pilots. So how does that first part work, right? So it always we always say, yeah, oh, at the sudden there's a pilot, but for a startup, <laughs> you know, how can they? All of a sudden uh, it happens. Yeah, it yeah. happens, but but I think there's a process before and during. So so, mm -hmm. you know, did you reach out to the startup? Did, did they come to you? How does that work? It's a mix and I, I wish I was able to share this is the recipe, this is the cookbook, this is how you do it, but there's not really one way to do it. What we have done in the past was really reaching out actively to startups because two and a half years ago ING Labs was new, it didn't exist yet. So people were like, are you guys legit? Uh, how does this work? How do we work together? So it was really us also saying, do you want to do something with us? Uh, but now more and more we see that startups are also approaching us and say this is what we have to offer. Can we talk about something? So that's sort of shifting. And what we then look at, both in terms of whether we are reaching out or if they're reaching out to us, there's a couple of criteria. We essentially look at what kind of impact will this make? Will this be relevant for ING? Will this be relevant for our clients or for specific uh, sectors that are strategic to ING? And then also, how can we add value to each other? What can we learn together? And does it make sense to do that on the ground in Singapore, or maybe it makes more sense in London. Is that a very structured evaluation process? Uh. It becomes more and more structured as it becomes more and more firm. So of course, a first conversation is always just understanding what is the value proposition about? What is this team about? And if you're then like, okay, so this, this ticks a lot of boxes, then it becomes more and more structured. And then of course, for example, if you go through the ING Ventures channel, then it becomes super structured because we have to do a lot of due diligence and really understand where the value is and, and what it's going to look like in the future. So the further you get in the funnel, basically, the more and more structure you get. And the same goes also for our internal ventures. They also initially go through this discovery phase, and this is also where the pace methodology comes in, and I'm dying to tell you more about yeah. that. But essentially, it also starts there with this, this fuzzy challenge, something with trade. We know it's very bilateral. We know it's very analog. But yeah, then make that more concrete, right? Make sure that you understand how big this market potentially is that you can capture. And then we have different phases they go through, and every step along the line, they have a stage gate, so it's around every three to six months where they have to formally pitch and share this is what we found this is what we learned this is why we believe we should keep going or not and this is what we want to learn next and for this we want funding so that's that's a very structured process to make sure that we focus on the right things and that we also deliver on the right things and take all those right steps and you said there's there's all sorts of ingredients that, that are important but if you would have to pick one key ingredient like the sugar shouldn't be missing in in that process is there something that startups can learn from it? 
from the maybe the Flowcast example or other examples that you have? For me, what's always super, super key is the team itself. The ability to be able to pivot, the ability to take feedback on board and to see how can we build on this and believing that FAIL is an acronym for first attempt in learning. So how flexible is your team? How, how agile is their mindset essentially? Yep. And how strong is their skill set to actually deliver on things? So I think that would be the sugar that you don't want to miss in terms of the, the team. And throughout the process, you can actually continue to, to see that in their behaviors in how they take feedback on board, how they adjust their experiments and their learning based on what they found instead of just focusing on delivering one specific thing uh, and just fingers crossed that that's going to work. But instead of just delivering one thing, continuously having that exploration mindset as well. Nice. And then you also see that uh, the match there is very important. So you have the team skills to perform mm -hmm. on, uh, on a certain topic or process. Yep. We often see that that culture and values also yep. are maybe a softer element in, 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 in the process. Do you feel that is super key, super, super key. So there's there's two things I want to touch upon here. So first is the different skill sets within a team. And then the other one is more around culture and, and, and mindset. So if you look at skill sets, what we usually look for are three flavors. So the hipster, the hacker and the hustler. And the, the hipster is really the person that keeps in mind the customer. Who are we doing this for? Is this desirable? Is this something that they want to have? Then you have the hacker who is more around can we pull this together? Can we actually build something? Can we make a prototype? Can we make this the feasibility work of this proposition? Yeah. And then finally, the hustler is really the person, almost the salesperson is like, we have this amazing thing. You want to you wanna have a look? And if you combine those skill sets together, you really have an adaptive team with skills that are complementary and makes them, that sets them up for success and to become a high performing team. And of course, it's not always easy to just find exact cookie cutters of those three profiles but we've seen teams are more and more successful the more their skills are in those buckets and they, and they complement each other. And then in terms of cultural differences, in terms of uh, mindset in general, it's really important to me that teams work in empathy in everything they do, not just towards their clients, but also towards their colleagues. So that's where I indeed as a consultant, coach, whatever, come in to really help them also reflect on how they're doing together and how, how they can team up and be more effective together. Because ultimately for me, a team needs to trust each other and feel they can build on each other. And currently reading The Culture Map, amazing book, which just shares about how we interpret things differently through our different cultural lenses and being yeah. able to take a step back from that. It's just incredible what you can learn also about yourself through that. I, I have in learned an incredible amount just the last two, three years working abroad and in Singapore, I, and I, I think you want to say something as well, but in Singapore specifically, you have s such a multicultural background. There's so many different nationalities represented there. So on one, one moment I can be talking with a French CTO, the next moment I can be talking with someone whose family has been in Singapore for five generations, and then I'll be talking with some someone from another part of the world. So you have to constantly context switch and also cultural switch yeah. to really understand. Yeah. It's really a melting pot to learn very yeah. fast all the different cultures that I think we, we work with globally. Let's dig a bit deeper into to something you just mentioned about uh, the, the PACE methodology. Mm -hmm. So that sounds like a pacemaker or something <laughs> like that, but, but uh, probably it's something else. It keeps uh, our innovation heart beating. It so. keeps, <laughs> ah, okay, that's, that's maybe the, yeah, the, the, the hook. I read it's an innovation methodology that is sort of based on lean startup, agile, 
uh, you use it internally to guide processes, but yeah, please share a bit more yeah. around what it is, how it works. You already had two out of three, so yeah. it's indeed design thinking, lean startup and agile scrum. And yeah. we use it both uh, for our internal projects to really look at how can we be better, but also for the startups in the lab. And also the stage gated process is connected to this. So base is, is based on those three components that we see in the market that are really, really helpful. So design thinking is really um, helping us to keep the customer at the center of everything we do. So again, that empathy muscle, making sure that something is desirable, that people really want it, that it's solving a problem. Then Lean Startup, we take elements from there to make sure that we prototype, that we validate our learnings, that we first set hypotheses about what we want to learn and actually go out there and learn without building something huge, only afterwards to realize that people don't want it. And Agile Scrum is here really the, maybe the pacemaker in that sense, that keeps the cadence, that provides the structure, that makes sure that we have multidisciplinary teams that really prioritize the right things at the right time. So some of these things sound so obvious. Is it really new for a big company like ING? How do I have to see this? I train people regularly on PACE, in PACE Fundamentals, and it's a one-day training where we essentially take people through this whole process. And um, I'm always very keen to read the feedback afterwards to see how did this land and, and what is the new insight that people are gathering from this. And there's usually two things. One thing is really about um, how they can, in a structured way, solve for problems. And the other one is really about the importance of stepping into someone else's shoes. So even someone within the, um, within the organization that is doing maybe an internal facing role, is then really triggered to think about, okay, I'm not just doing my job, I'm actually doing something to create value for someone else. Maybe if you're in a risk team, you need to work together with your front office colleague, so ultimately you can add value to your client. So providing that holistic view through this toolkit for many people is, is an eye-opener to just solve problems in a different way by stepping into someone else's shoes. So in a way that is that is new yeah. for a lot of people to then see how it looks like in a structured way. It's interesting, of course, to learn everything about ING Labs, about <laughs> your life. But I think the, the main goal of the, the podcast today is to talk a little bit more about doing business abroad, mm -hmm. about mm -hmm. uh, how startups can really scale to another country specifically focusing uh, on, on Singapore. One of the questions that I always have is, is what is the biggest misconception that people have about doing business in another country and moving to another country? It sounds so sexy, but <laughs> there must be yeah, more behind it. Absolutely, so the biggest challenge, and I think the biggest misconception is that you can just take something that you already have, literally copy paste it and launch it in another country. That is not how it works, unfortunately. It's really about making sure that it's tailored again to the local environment and what people need there. That's the biggest challenge and also the biggest misconception which really can slow down startups in their scaling. And on a personal level, hey, you have to find a house, you have to make new friends maybe, mm -hmm. uh, make new friends with colleagues. How did that go for you? It's, it's, it's really important and I remember when I moved there, I was really so focused already on setting up the innovation lab and running and we're making long days because we wanted to make sure it was up and running because we had people coming in and I was making really, really long days and my, my house and making sure that I had a place to live was sort of, well, it was not an afterthought, boxes but it was everywhere. not number one. There were boxes everywhere. Well, luckily, it was, I had great support from ING in, in my move as well. So, yes, I had people actually helping me with unpacking it, but I still had to put it away, and there was a lot of stuff, which you then realized that living in Singapore is a bit smaller because it's, it's more expensive, so that had its own challenges. But I really was focusing first on work, 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 work. 
but you actually really need that that local network as well of, of support and there is so much support in Singapore there's a lot of expatriates there but there's also a lot of uh, local people that are really into entrepreneurship and innovation so how did you access that did you ask around did you meet people via ING both at some point I realized okay I need to not just build my network, but make sure that I'm a more multifaceted person yeah. <laughs> uh, that is not just focusing on one thing only and really create a network here. So uh, you have lots of Facebook groups, for example, yeah. and also on LinkedIn, there's lots of groups. A lot of stuff happens online there. Uh, and of course, also during, uh, also of course, through the office and within ING Labs, we have these people from all across the world. And also some of them have been in Singapore for super, super long. So they could also then be like, oh, if you're interested in this, let's go there together now, introduce you to some people. So. I think because there's so many people coming to Singapore, people are also more open to actually bringing you along in their journey and also showing them, hey, these are some of the things that I learned and these are some of the people that are interested for you also to talk with. People are open to actually build relationships and build networks. And, and I think in general, it's super, super supportive ecosystem there for startups and for people moving there in general. And do you think those networks, because we can find any contact on LinkedIn, uh, Facebook groups, you say, but are these networks that are being set up? I think you have the Chambers of Commerce, you have the Embassy. Are they helpful for taking a yeah. first step? finding Absolutely. the right people and, and in what way in your opinion uh, i think in multiple ways so of course we have we have our our chamber of commerce in in singapore we have the embassy in singapore which is just incredible they have helped us in, in many many ways and um, i'm happy to also always work with them to give back you have the of course the, the dutch embassy the dutch government entities that we have there but also the singapore government entities that are really there to support new startups and new people moving to singapore and a couple of examples really are around finding the right talent for your startup because it will really be about first understanding are you the right person to move there how are you do you want to build your local team there what will that look like and this is really where the embassy can really help with but also for example the economic development board has a great view on that as well there's lots of financial support available for specific areas within uh, in singapore to innovate in so there's all kinds of ways and very concrete for me will be finding the right people and potentially finding even funding uh, for for your business yeah and 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 you of course were part of a of a larger company when you uh, when you moved to to singapore but if you would place yourself in the shoes of a of a, of a startup mm -hmm. uh, and if you would think of what yeah, how they approach it what would be your advice on on you know taking steps i'm based here in the netherlands mm -hmm. have a, a successful startup let's mm -hmm. say that way ready to copy paste ready to copy paste <laughs> to, uh, to another country. What do I have to do? What do I have to think of? A couple of things. I would first really say, in normal times I would say book a ticket, but right now that's a bit of a challenge. So right now really start with, with making those connections and building that network online. Again, LinkedIn is super, super valuable. Um, just reaching out to people and understanding we're looking at this challenge and solving for it. This is what we've already done so far. Is this something that you are interested in? And, and, and can we talk about how this challenge is relevant for you? That just helps to potentially already do some first market validation in terms of really finding the right people on the ground to help you definitely reach out to, to the Dutch embassy. We have the, the FinTech liaison, uh, Gabi, she's absolutely amazing. Um, and then of course also the, the local ecosystem. So really depending on where your startup fits in, there's lots of communities, there's lots of spaces where people can actually come together to, to learn. Um, and I'm happy to also 
answer questions on that through through LinkedIn. But there's um, yeah, there's there's lots going on and too much going on yeah. to be very specific and reach out to this specific community b- because there's so much going on. So lots of opportunities for for startups to really uh, yeah find their way even in a in a remote setting uh, like in these COVID times. As you know, we're we're uh, uh, Singapore Unlocked, the platform uh, that that is set up uh, together with the uh, the Dutch Embassy and Enterprise Singapore to facilitate this process also a little bit. In what way do you think that would help, right? Or what is the key thing these platforms should focus on, in your opinion? I think there is already so much learning about setting up a business abroad or moving your business abroad and specifically to Singapore. It's really the regional hub for for startups and for innovation. So having a place, digital, physical, where people can actually capture those learnings and really learn from others what has worked in the past and what hasn't will help them get to their, where they want to be faster. And then specifically also around operations and, and admin stuff. It has been done before. So having a place where they can actually learn from others how they did it will help them significantly in, in their scaling, I would say. You know, we, we've both been working in Singapore uh, for, for a while. Uh, it's, it's a small and very mm-hmm. nice ecosystem to be in, very well connected and mm-hmm. people are very open to, uh, to support each other. Is it, in your opinion, uh, hard because there's also so much to find the right people to to work with? Yeah, it's for me um, making that personal connection, having that conversation to really validate: does it make sense? Can we help each other now? Can we help set each other up for success at this stage? Maybe right then, right there is not the moment yet. Maybe your business is not there yet to work together with this specific entity. But just having that relationship and knowing what they're looking for and how you can potentially help them later on is just incredibly valuable. So even if right then there's nothing yet to to get out of the conversation, I would say specifically in Singapore, building relationships and building a network is so incredibly important. It, It looks different than from the Netherlands. It is so key to really know the right people and have that relationship with them and understand what drives them, how you can help each other in the future, um, because that way, when the moment is there, you can call them up and say, I have something really interesting happening. Do you want to team up with me? So the importance of, of networks and, and, and building those relationships, I just cannot stress enough. And, and we as Dutch people, we, we, we go in, we're quite direct and then make it happen. Is there a mm-hmm. difference in, in Singapore? I can imagine that that relationship is even more important and might take a bit more time. Mm-hmm. Uh, how do you see that? So I both in my, my role as banker and in my role as innovator, I've, I've seen the um, interactions with clients. And yes, it is, it is different. But I actually really enjoy the Singapore way of working where there is so much more space to really understand someone's background and what is important to them and building that relationship rather than think, okay, here's the agenda. We're gonna institute fast. Let's get started, boom, 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 boom. And then move through your whole agenda. It's really more about understanding the background and yes you will also get work done um, but you also have to have, have a moment for that personal connection do you see a lot of pe- dutch people maybe uh, do that while they come to singapore i think i have seen it happen not, not a lot of dutch people but i've seen it happen that people may get frustrated like is is this moving are, are we moving forward when it's moving forward just looks different uh, it may not be what you're used to in, in the Netherlands or in other European countries. It, it looks Progress looks different. It's really more about building that relationship. And once people understand that and the, the local nuances in that sense, they embrace it. But what is really appreciated in Singapore as well is our, our structured approach and is our 
uh, our clear communication in terms of what we can and what we cannot deliver on. So that is also uh, a valuable there. An asset in, in, in that mm. sense. We talked a little bit about uh, going global, what kind of steps uh, you need to take. A second part that I, I would like to dig a bit deeper into are, are really specific opportunities for, for Singapore. Mm -hmm. uh, when you highlighted the, the focus of ING Labs, for example, you, mm -hmm. you talk about trade. Um, from your experience, what do you see are very interesting areas for, for Dutch, but also European companies if they want to go to, uh, to a region like Singapore? Singapore is uh, is a trading hub, just like basically we grew in Amsterdam and Rotterdam, having a, a port function there. That's something that also Singapore grew on. So that is also why specifically in, as ING, we're looking at the trade tech space. And this is still an environment where there's just so, so much room to make impact and to really make a difference, especially because we have that knowledge and experience also here locally. Things that work here may actually benefit Singapore as well. Uh, plus, ports, of course, are connectors. So being able to make that connection is really, really valuable. So that's, I would say, a specific uh, space impact can be made. Of course, this is also more enterprise-driven. Um, then uh, telecom is also a very interesting topic in, uh, in Singapore. There's also lots of emphasis on that. Um, and I think in general, in the financial services industry, there's a lot of support also from the government to really innovate there and to see how can we be smarter. Um, and then specifically consumer-facing products. Again, what I just mentioned, um, there's such a broad multicultural group there. So you can really also, as a startup, learn how um, do different people engage with my product in different ways. And that can help you scale them to also to the neighboring countries as the positioning of Singapore Geographically, it, it makes it really a gateway to Northeast Asia and Southeast Asia. And we always see it that way, but that's when we look at the map. You know, it's mm -hmm. easy. Oh, Malaysia is so close by. Mm -hmm. Is that also the case when you when you live there, or is it, is it even more the case? Absolutely, absolutely. It's it's incredible how close everything is. Although currently with the travel restrictions, it's a bit more difficult. Yeah. Um, but but yes, it is. Um, yeah. It, it it feels like, you know driving from Amsterdam to Rotterdam, um, th that's how close it is. Yeah. And then that's, is that also the opportunity that you see for, for startup scale-ups that want to go there? Do you really yeah. have to see Singapore as a hub? Or I would say so, because Singapore has a hub function also because a lot of uh, the headquarters are based in Singapore, and they usually have smaller uh, satellite offices across the region. Uh, but in Singapore, if you are in the, in the main street, uh, in, in, this, in the central business district, that's where you can already find most companies that you potentially want to do business with. So they are very condensed. Um, it's just a very uh, economically stable uh, environment as well. People are really open to innovation. They're really open to trying new things. So it's quite a mature market there as well. So that's why I think it's a great landing platform if you want to expand to Asia to first start in Singapore, get your footing there, and then from there act as a, as a local hub. Nice. Startups that uh, uh, that are looking to go abroad have different reasons for, for doing so. It can be, of course, that their investor is uh, is located and is demanding them to come to a certain region. Uh, can be, of course, because your wife or husband uh, has a job in a different reason, uh, region why you move. Um, but one that I would specifically like to look at is, is launching customers, right? So uh, when you move to a region, can also be because your clients are, are based there and, and it's relevant to be uh, to be close to them. Um, a big topic in this, and I think also closer to the work that you are doing, is that, that corporates can be a relevant partner for, for start scale-ups to, uh, to, to work with. 
Uh, do you see that at, at your work as well, that you work with startups that come to Singapore? You gave the Flowcast example, but are there other? Um, well, the other startups that we've engaged with are more from Singapore specifically, and yep. we're really looking at how can we team up and really bring our, our corporate po pockets of knowledge uh, and the network that we have to the table to actually help them scale up. So most of the other st uh, startups that we've engaged with are local startups, yep. uh, but that doesn't mean we don't look also at other angles and to really see what else is interesting for us. Because again, it's more about f making impact in that specific space for us, trade tech in, in Singapore. I can imagine, for example, some of the local startups that you engage with that you you know, the moment they grow, uh, you can scale them via the different uh, uh, locations of ING as well. Do you see that happening? Yeah, so for example, with Flowcast, uh, we started the pilot with them in Singapore. And currently they are part of the ING Labs Brussels program, which is a structured pilot to really see um, can, we even, can we do even more? And does it make sense for us to team up in Brussels, for example, or in other parts of Europe? Yeah. And, and for maybe Dutch startups that are looking to this, if they see ING as a potential partner, are there routes that they can approach you for or how would that, uh, how would that work? So in the Netherlands, we have the FinTech team that's constantly scouting for new developments and new startups. They will be an interesting starting point. Um, and then if they are, want to move to Singapore, they can always send me a message and then me and my, my, my colleagues can uh, see and uh, look if we can do something together. Yeah, the overload of, uh, of messages after this, <laughs> LinkedIn of course. LinkedIn is going yeah, to explode yeah. now. It's gonna, <laughs> gonna explode. For the last section of the, of the podcast, uh, I would like to have a bit more generic overview in terms of uh, tips, tricks, insights that you might have for, for startups uh, uh, that want to go abroad. I think we covered already uh, quite a bit of uh, elements. Yeah, what is, what is a key thing that we maybe didn't discuss, in your opinion? First thing that comes up is network, 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 which is just, again, really, really important to talk to people and to really understand. Um, something that we've touched upon in terms of the copy pasting and making sure that your solution is relevant in this different environment um, is how you actually do that. And this is again where the pace methodology also comes in. Now how I um, share this with my teams is really about first understand the desirability. Do people want this? Is this solving a problem? And how can you tell? Can you already see if you can get some kind of currency and not necessarily money, but more, will they give you their email address? Will they refer you to someone else who they think this is relevant for? So these are some first metrics you can use to actually see, will we get traction because do people want this in the first place? So really that desirability element. And then the second thing really is about feasibility. How do we build this? Um, within Singapore, there's lots and lots of smart people. There's really a bit of a war for talent potentially already going on. And so there's, there's lots of people who may have the skills to actually build it, but something to be aware of is that within Singapore, rules and regulations may be different on using data, storing data, and connecting data from, for example, Europe to Singapore. So that feasibility aspect there is really, really key to double check and to really see, does this make sense for us? And are there certain kind of restrictions we need to be aware of? And then of course, viability in terms of your, your business model, how will you actually generate money from this. Will this be the same? Do you have to try something else? Um, what are people used to in Singapore? Maybe they are more comfortable paying for other things. So for example, in, in the Netherlands, in general, people don't like paying for an app. They are more comfortable paying in-app is what I understand. However, in, in Singapore, people don't mind paying upfront for an app. 
So just understanding those different models of actually generating cash on the ground looks different. So, and that is to me really the, the, the structure that you take to really validate something. And then finally, it's about adaptability as well. So just overarching, making sure that whatever it is that you're building, that you are able to pivot. That, for example, if a global pandemic happens, that you're not dead in the water, but that you and your founding team can pivot and try something else and see where else you can deliver value by again looking at the desirability component and through continuous learning. Did, did you see that last thing happening, uh, I think so, uh, in, in your own teams in the past year? I did not see them being dead in the water, um, but I did see that they really had to adjust their approach in how they, how they were doing their validation, because normally they would just go and visit and, and look at places and have conversations on the ground to really see, do this ethnographic research, right? Like just being in the field, looking at how people do it, which is just a lot more difficult if you need to keep your distance. And at some point we had a full lockdown in Singapore. So they had to really shift their approach. And this is where the adaptability mindset how also came in. It? Sorry? How did they do it? How did they fix it? Do you have an example of it? Lots and lots and lots of video calls. Lots of video calls. And some teams that already had prototypes, for example, um, yeah, they would just share their screen or they would hand over the screen control to someone else so they could actually click, click through the demo, but they could see how they were doing it. Something else I've seen a team do is that they had their test users in one room and then the other team actually tracking their movements in another room uh, so they could keep track of what was going on and how they were interacting with something which was a socially distanced way of doing it and from this we actually learned that by keeping this separate uh, they could not influence the behavior of the user so they really had to uh, look at how uh, how is the user experience is it uh, intuitive enough so that actually gave us some new learnings as well so it's even there to stay i think this approach I think so. And also in terms of just working together remotely in my day to day work, I'm now able to reach so many more people than I was before, because normally I would do my, my trainings, my base fundamentals training in one location with only people based in Singapore. And sometimes I had people come over to join that training and to do other things in, in, the, in Singapore as well. But now, just last week, I had a training where I had people from Sydney, Seoul, Singapore, Manila, Hong Kong present, and I had people in the Netherlands, in Brussels, in Bratislava, actually helping me out with facilitating this training, which I think is just amazing. All in a different time zone, people at breakfast, dinner. I was having my morning coffee and yep. the lady in Sydney said, I'm now going to just turn off my uh, webcam because I'm going to eat something and nobody needs to see this. So yeah, that's nice. really, really cool of such a, yeah. It, I think it also really shows the power of ING's global network, yep. that we really have people everywhere. We have people that are really keen to get on this innovation journey and to try on new things. A few more questions that I have really on, on a couple of yeah, things maybe that you're proud of. Uh, <laughs> I know that you, you started uh, uh, two years ago with building the team of uh, ING Labs, mm -hmm. started a lot of different initiatives. Uh, which one are you most proud of that you can share? Oh, there's so many I'm proud of. I think, I think a specific, uh, can I pick two? Uh, let's start with one. Okay, I'll start, I'll start with and one. Maybe you get one, you, you get one extra okay, after. Okay, okay. If I, if I do this first one right. Uh, so one initiative that started with us in September 2018 uh, was at the time called Soft AI. They now rebranded to Stemly. And they when they got started, they were really looking for the right problem to solve. I think they, d they went through 50 different problem statements just to find the right one for them that they could deliver on in terms of their skill set that interested them enough to, to captivate them for at least another year or two to really build this out as a, as a business. And um, 
just seeing that and seeing again that adaptability is just incredibly inspiring for me. Then as they went along, they continuously had to take on board this feedback and they had to uh, pivot a few times because first they wanted to focus on this specific area, then this specific area. But then the evidence showed them, no, you really need to focus first on uh, warehouse management, making sure that you get that right. And then we can move on into uh, cash flow forecasting, um, which I think is just incredible. And now we're at the stage that they are ready to really deliver and looking at within ING how we can use this. So by first being very focused and very specific on what the problem was they wanted to solve, scaling it up and now seeing this, this wide range of applicabilities is just incredible to me. Nice. And you, you get the second okay, one. Okay. What was the what was the second company? So the second company is called Blacksmith. Um, and they started internally initially to to streamline our process. It was really around focus on KYC, but now KYC know your customer. Yes. Sorry, sorry. This is the financial sector speak. Um, but what you see happening now is that uh, this is a team that initially really was trying to find, okay, where can we now really add value? Where can we really make an impact? And the team has just done an incredible job on getting people on the innovation train as well and really educating people on, we're not doing something super risky. We're really trying to focus on making our lives better and m making that of other banks better as well. So do you want to join us? And now this this team is just growing exponentially and making such a great impact. So I'm just in incredibly proud of them. And, and then it's still a uh, internal company at ING? Yeah, so we are always looking for what makes the most sense for this team to again make an impact. Does it make more sense to become a business unit within ING? Does it make more sense to spin out as a separate entity? Um, and we are still really e exploring those different angles across all the labs because it's still so fresh, basically. So there's still so much learning going so, on so there. So people could get a stake in, in that spin out uh, potentially? Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and what is your opinion? Are part of the people that you attract are from internal, uh, ING? It's mixed. Employees? It's part mixed. is from external? Uh, so it's it's a mix. So we have on one hand we have people joining that have been within ING for a decade or longer and say, I have all this knowledge, but I also see how we can really do a better job. Um, and I'm here to now start doing that better job and come up with something new. And on the other side, we also have this fresh perspective coming from outside, from experienced entrepreneurs. They're like, I'm here to solve a problem, but how amazing if I have the backing of an international company with knowledge, with a network that can actually really help me scale my idea fast and learn fast or, or fail fast. Which group is better? Because they are together, they're better. <laughs> together, they're better. Nice. Um, yeah, a final word for, for the people that are listening and watching this, uh, this podcast. Uh, maybe a final piece of advice that you have for companies or, or something that you would like to share with them. Network and validation is really about understanding will people actually want your product or your service? You will only get that answer by asking questions first, not hard selling, but just understanding what is the lay of the land currently like, uh, and then start small, start with the validation, start with tweaking and understanding how you can make your product or service relevant to the specific environment you want to move to. Great. And if they come to Singapore, Susanne Vos, they can reach you. I'm always available for a cup of coffee. Great. <laughs> Thanks for, uh, for joining the podcast uh, today. Hope you enjoyed it. Absolutely. And uh, yeah, hopefully in, a, in, in, let's say, half a year, we can meet uh, on the other side of the world. Exactly. Then we can have a cup of coffee with the view of Marina Bay Sands. Perfect. <laughs> Thanks a lot.